Hello there, and welcome to Market, the podcast that explores the dynamic world of marketing and branding. This is a show where we talk with marketers about how great brands are built. Before we get into this week's podcast, we wanted to remind you to head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Market so that you get notified when episodes go live. Market is brought to you by Right Sleeve, an award-winning promotional products agency located in the heart of Toronto. Connect with us online at rightsleeve.com or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Right Sleeve. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Market. I'm Ria Lupton, Marketing Manager at Right Sleeve Marketing, and today we have Sylvia Ung, VP of Growth and Analytics at 500 Pixels, a global online photography community. Hi. Why don't you start with your story? Tell us about yourself and where you are today and how did you get started? For sure. So right now I work at 500px, which is a global online uh, photography community. Uh, We have around 10 million people from across the globe. Uh, And really how I ended up here was I had my career starting in analytics. So uh, a mix of marketing and um, data analysis. Uh, So I actually did my degree in systems design engineering. And from there started doing consulting gigs in the Toronto area for the local telcos. So at Bell and Rogers, I would give them um, reports on some of their marketing campaigns. Uh, And from there, I ended up at eBay doing their in-house marketing analytics. And from there, got exposure to site analytics at a really large scale, um, as you would imagine eBay being. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And then from there, um, decided to go and try out startup life. So I went to um, Oanda, another Toronto startup. Um, Then... Well, maybe I don't know how much you want to dig into everything. <laughs> no, go uh, ahead. Tell us went as to much as you'd like. Google um, to start up. Uh, that was a very interesting time, actually, to start up their um, in-house digital marketing center of excellence. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, Google did, Canada or like uh, Google globally, based out of okay. the U.S. Uh, so it. this team was a global team. I just happened to be based out of Toronto uh, okay. at the time, but the team was mostly out of the U.S. Okay. Um, yeah, so did that for roughly three years, um, and then again got the startup itch uh, and went to a B2B SaaS company uh, called Scribble Live, mm-hmm. and then now at 500px. And tell us a little bit more about 500px. I know you said that it's a global online photography community, but I know that they're doing a lot more than that, so talk to us a little bit about 500pixels and the culture there. and. How has your experience been working with, you know, a local startup that I always thought was like a U.S.-based startup? <laughs> but it's really cool to hear that it's a truly like made in Canada success story. Yeah, for like for sure. I think the culture. I mean, it is. I would say very much a Silicon Valley kind of tech startup culture mm-hmm. um, that we've taken. Um, but I guess going back to the platform itself, we are the place for photographers to grow. So they come to grow their network, grow their business, and then grow their skills as well. Um, and I think if you really think about overall as an industry, like how we are viewing images obviously has changed over the years in, in, 
especially because of mobile photography um, coming into play uh, and obviously Instagram taking a big part of that. Uh, I like to think that 500px we are kind of making the stance for the art form mm -hmm. itself. Like you will, if you go into 500px, the difference between us and it's say in like an Instagram is that the people on our site are extremely passionate about the art of photography. They're not necessarily all pros or even semi-professional, but they are hobbyists who really devote time into perfecting that art and it shows. Like the quality of the content that we have on that site is unparalleled. Uh, so as a, the value that we're bringing not just to like prospective buyers who are looking for photography, but to actually like I think society in general. Like we're making statements about the place of art in a in a world where increasingly we're just looking at the tech, mm. right? Um, so that's personally what kind of drew me to the brand. It's not just well, one I think our culture is fairly unique inside Toronto in that we are so um, kind of tech startupy, mm. <laughs> um, but also yeah the the fact that we are making some statements around. Our, our culture yeah yeah in your role at 500 P px you are the head of marketing mm -hmm. and i think it's very interesting that a vp of growth and analytics is leading marketing because traditionally that's not what i've seen can you give us a little bit of like a in-depth perspective into what your role entails and how big is your team as well yeah of course so I think if you read into the literature like if you just kind of do your google searches there's a big debate about where does what is growth and where does it fit mm. inside an organization yeah. and I think you will find just as many people who say hey it should fit in, into product as people who would tell you it should fit under marketing and then there's kind of like this kind of third camp there that says okay well it's neither here nor there it should be its own thing and to me the debate in the absence of actually having your person your your company situation in on hand is kind of a moot point mm -hmm. like where you put it totally to me is a function of your leadership team and how your organization is set up and how you want to where you want to take it um, so at 500px specifically functionally it is rolled up with marketing okay. um, but I am not set on anyone like I, I'm not here telling you that that's the way you should do it for yourself like okay. I, I feel like each organization needs to find what works for them um, so yeah, my team right now kind of has three separate groups underneath it. Um, a more, I would say, classical marketing team that is doing content marketing, product marketing, um, as well as PR. Uh, and then another team that is the growth hacking team, and that's a fully multidisciplinary team that has an engineer, a product um, person, a designer, a marketer as well as a data scientist and that's the fully functional fast-moving iterative testing team that we have and um, the third group is a community management um, team that has also uh, a second role specifically because of the farmer px business uh, we license out some of our photography to buyers and that community team not only deals with what you would think of as a community management team typically would do but also they deal with the licensing of our imagery got it and I think it's very interesting that you mentioned that you know where like a lot of people talk about where is growth and where does it fit into marketing and we talked about this before that growth hacking is an is a very non-traditional field so how did you end up in growth hacking so I think I there's a big 
piece of it that is um, chance, honestly. <laughs> uh, so if you look at my background, because I started out in analytics and in engineering, um, whenever I took kind of like the next step in my career, I never wanted to let go of that. I feel like that is my strength. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I always wanted to make more and more impact on business, I ended up applying more and more of the problem solving to marketing problems. And that's really how I ended up kind of almost by happenstance into this growth hacking field. Mm. I would say in Toronto, like as a startup in Toronto, it does feel like it's a fairly new thing. It it really isn't though. Like if you go down to Silicon Valley, it's been around as a term Mm. for years. I still think it's fairly, very misunderstood. um, And we don't have necessarily as an industry, a clear cut definition that we all agree to but I think we're getting closer like every every year as we do the the, the growth conferences every year that goes by I feel like we're getting closer to having um, a more solid definition of what this industry can be so what is growth hacking how do you define it to me my personal definition is that it's a mindset right it's a way of going about things like Sean Ellis when he first coined the term of growth hacking he defined growth hacking as somebody or a growth hacker as somebody whose true north is growth so that that is their true sense of being they go to work every day thinking how do i grow this company and i agree with that but i would also say that it's not enough just to have that as your goal it's also the way you approach making that goal happen right it's the processes around that Uh, and brian balfour whom i'm a big fan of he's the xvp of growth at hubspot He has some great blog posts about how process is so important to growth. Um, And I would like to personally just kind of roll all that process and mentality into one and say, hey, it really is just about the mindset. And a part of that mindset is one, being very iterative, being uh, preferring being done over being perfect, um, experimenting, being data driven, so making sure that you're looking at your data before um, leaping into anything too, too big. And then the, the other piece that I would say is, yeah, having that multidisciplinary team would be a big mm-hmm. part of that. So there are two things to explore here right now. Um, growth as a mindset, how do you make sure that other people on your team have that mindset too? Is that something you look for when you hire people on your team? Or is this something that can be taught? I think definitely there's elements that can be taught. Um, but there are... I think cultural elements too that would help you if you were to screen for those inside an interview. Okay, and how do you do that? The idea of someone being flexible and always um, learning, those things are things that I would look for. Curiosity is another one that lends itself really well to that growth mentality. Mm -hmm. So I think there are certain personality traits that make it easier for you to develop this mindset Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to being very fixed okay yeah and there's a great book on that um called mindset who is it by carol s dweck and you know you also mentioned the concept of a minimum viable team what does that mean yeah so to me that means having multidisciplinary team members Mm -hmm. together on the team going after a similar goal and having the leeway and the prioritization set so that they could actually achieve that yeah. uh, together. So that's really my way of getting rid of any red tape or walls 
uh, or silos that you might have between functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for me, the minimum viable team, at least in the tech space, would be having a data scientist, a marketer, an engineer, a product manager, and a designer. Those would be the five functions that I would want inside a team. Whether they need to be five separate people, I would say it doesn't have to be. Uh, if you can roll up like two of those functions under one person, then great, especially if you're in a startup where you're kind of strapped uh, for resources. Um, the whole idea is that it's just you have that capability within your team to move fast. And how do you... So you're talking about concepts, you're talking about um, growth as a mindset, you've talked about minimum viable team. How do you make this sustainable? How do you keep yourself personally accountable that you're doing this all the time? Because, you know, in startups or companies, sometimes it's not possible to, like, you know, go exactly by the book. But how can other startups or you yourself make sure that you keep yourself accountable to that? Uh, Well, there's an eight-step process right, of two growth that, <laughs> that um, I kind of ascribe to. I mean, it's not perfect, and I think there's probably details that can be ironed out in different situations. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I found it super helpful, especially when my team even asks me, okay, what's the, what's the next step? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if we had to dig into those eight steps, first step is actually staging. Uh, so knowing where your startup is at, like have you hit do you have a minimum viable product? Have you hit um, product market fit? Have you hit product channel fit? Or at your scaling stage where you're actually trying to take your product uh, to the global stage? And depending on where you're at, your goals are going to be very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing would be actually to set a strategic goal based on that stage. And what do I mean by that? There's, to me at a high level, really only three things that you can go after. Either you're going after users, so pure user growth, and that could be clients if you're in a B2B space, or you could be going after the monetization of those users when you have had enough users, right? Mm-hmm. So the value of each user. Or the last thing is you could actually be going for profitability. And it's, I am always surprised by the amount of people that I talk to who have startups who can't tell me what their actual goal is, right? And I think questions to ask yourselves, it's like, do you want to become like Twitter? and make six, mil- six or seven hundred million dollars a quarter and still not be profitable. I think it's just a question, if, as an owner, right, do, is that what you're going after? Or is this a lifestyle business that you need to pay your own bills? Are you going after the rocket ship for, and world domination? Like those questions only you can answer for your own startup. Um, but knowing where you, what you're trying to do, I think is very, very key. Yeah, so the third step, once you've kind of set that strategic goal, is to model out your funnel, uh, insofar that as you have data there. Um, and kind of the rest of these steps actually are predicated on the fact that you have product market fit. Because um, that's usually when pe- most people would say, okay, that is a, the point at which you can start doing growth or even marketing. Yeah. Before that, you just honestly need to work on your product. Um, so assuming you do have product market fit and assuming you do have therefore some data to work with, mm-hmm. start modeling out e- your full funnel from, you know, if it's a site like 500px, from number of visitors to number of registrations, number of active users, and then from there to the different activities that they could do down to the monetization, um, whatever that event might actually mm-hmm. be. Um, and then there, from there you can kind of start seeing what the lower hanging fruit would be if you were to go after that specific goal that you set. 
but you can also have deeper conversations. Because if you said that you are going after users, well, what kind of user? Is it a user that just registered? One that, like in the case of 500px, we have people who upload and those are valuable users. Is, is it the ones that upload? Is it the ones that subscribe? Is it the ones that are free? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I think, need to be very specific about that goal. A lot of people just go to the users and, and that's that. Yeah. Uh, but it, without the specificity, I think it's hard for your team to actually focus on the right thing. And then that brings on to the next point, which is, okay, well, if I do have all these different types of user activities, what do I focus on? How do I know which one? Uh, and that, to me, is an exercise of kind of setting your North Star KPI. Um, and for those of you who don't know the North Star KPI, that's actually also another fairly common, I guess, growth hacky thing from Silicon Valley. Um, if you look at, like, say, Airbnb, their North Star KPI is nights booked. Um, Quora's is number of questions answered. So they basically set a KPI that the company can rally against. Um, but it's also a KPI that is something that if you knew were to grow, the rest of your business would also grow with it. As in, that is the one thing that you know you should be doing because users will be, be retained as a result, the revenue will be coming in as a result, etc. So if you don't know what that one KPI is, I would actually suggest you do as an exercise, as part of setting the KPI, a bunch of data science to figure out what actions in your platform or on your site or, or in your product are related to longer term retention or satisfaction or at least to an MPS score so that you know you're picking the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the fourth step. Um, the fifth step is actually setting up a prioritization grid. And that roughly could just be an Excel spreadsheet where you put down all of your ideas about growing because no one I th- I've met so far has a shortage of those. Um, but everyone has a problem prioritizing. It's just putting it out in that spreadsheet. And that on its own, I think, sounds fairly easy. But to mm-hmm. me, the, I've found this to be an extremely hard process, not because of the rows that you're putting in, but because of the columns that you would put in this Excel spreadsheet to actually prioritize all of those events. Mm-hmm. So what would you put in there? Like some people, mon- um, if you're going after monetization, I would say you would just put a dollar value against each of these opportunities okay. and rank there. If you're prioritizing time to market, that's something else. Or maybe you're trying to minimize the cost of things you're going after profitability. So that discussion needs to happen with your team and you need to be aligned on that. So that's the fifth thing. Um, the sixth thing is to actually set um, targets. So ideally, once you have that spreadsheet, what you can do is take the top, say whatever, I don't know what it would be, five or 10 things that mm-hmm. you want to do. 10 is probably way too many. Three or four things and set a target against what you think you can actually achieve with that in terms of revenue or users. And that's, I think, also a step that is often missing for growth teams is that they don't set that goal and they just kind of go with whatever comes. Yeah. And the reason why I think it's important to have that target up front, not necessarily, I mean, I think it's good for communication, but the main thing is actually for you to know what you as a team can achieve. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think for one thing, it's one thing to actually motivate the team against a set target, but it's another thing for you to be able to look back on that and say, okay, well, why didn't we achieve what we thought we would? Because you can iterate on that and improve yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing after that, the seventh step would be to set up an execution process. Yeah. Um, and there's a few, few things in that. I think this is very much dependent on the people that you have on your team and how they want to operate. Um, but I would recommend you doing agile sprints 
Um, at 500px, we have one-week sprints for that growth team and four-week themes. So we set out a monthly theme that we want to achieve, say, a whole new onboarding process. Got and then we break that up into four chunks that we then try to achieve. That's very interesting. Um, other things would be having separate streams. So there's a stream of work that you would always have as a, as a growth marketer or, or growth engineer that's just to optimize what you already have. Mm-hmm. So running an A-B test on homepage, say. That's very different from you trying to come up with a whole new program or, or product mm-hmm. that you might also be testing. So at Founder PX, we just launched um, classes because we knew our users were looking for photography education. That as a new MVP, we also iterated on our team, but it was a totally separate stream of work than the optimizations that we have. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend if from a prioritization perspective to always keep those two things separate because the return on something like um, a new product, the, the timeline is just so much farther out um, that the planning, I think, needs to be long, take a longer-term view. Okay. And if you were to prioritize you know, something for a short-term target, you may never end up prioritizing something that has a longer-term return, unless you force yourself to. Um, So yeah, that seventh step is to actually set up this type of uh, execution process and talk to your team about how you want to operate. And then the last piece, which kind of ties back to what we already talked about, is setting up that multidisciplinary team to execute on all that process. Which also comes back to hiring practices and culture and like setting, you know, the groundwork for having that team. Mm Awesome. So I hope our listeners found this really useful. I personally did. Um, is there a way for them to kind of get this eight-step framework somewhere online? Do you have a website I'm or something? I'm halfway through the blog post, so okay. hopefully that'll be out kind of like in the next month. Yeah. So yeah. when that is out, we are going to link that to this podcast so that users can easily download that blog post and read it together with the podcast. Great. I think that would be very, yeah. very useful. And the blog is at sylvia.ng, so that's... Got it. We'll need that. All right. Next question. So you've had, you know, quite the career. You have worked for smaller startups. You have worked for bigger companies. What is one of the most interesting projects that you've ever worked on? Well, I think personally, I've always wanted to, and I think this continues to this day, I've always wanted to have a larger impact on this world. Mm -hmm. You know, I think my biggest fear is actually just leaving this world without having done something significant. Um, But then I think the realization is whenever I try to take on something gigantic, obviously, it just seems very out of reach. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think the projects that I've liked the most are the ones where I've been able to tweak my kind of day-to-day into something that seems to have a little bit more meaning. Um, so for an example, as an example, at Fire PX, we've always run these um, photo quests, which are essentially photography contests, uh, and we run them um, every two weeks on 500 PX. And they used to be actually just for our community. Uh, so we would get sponsors and whoever won the photo contest would get you know, swag of some sort. Um, but what we've done recently is actually try to we vector those into something that helps uh, nonprofits and charities. So the last one that we just ran, actually the one that's even running now, uh, is in conjunction with World Wildlife Fund for Earth Hour uh, from this past weekend. Um, And we're running another one with them for Earth Day. And so now we're kind of tapping into our community to go and support a specific cause. Uh, So that's just a personal project that I've been really excited about. That's really cool. Yeah. Where can people find out more about this stuff? Um, or is it only open to members? 
Oh no, it's, well, it, it is for people who've at least registered on the site, but okay. that's free, so anybody can do that, and anybody can submit photos. Perfect. Like Which brings us to the next question. So, how has the field of growth hacking changed in the last little while, or over the span of your career? Well, I think it, it's definitely evolved to be more of a fixture you know if you look at the larger companies there are vps of growth across the board not just at smaller startups but also at very large companies um so i think from that perspective it's definitely become um a full-blown industry so to speak as opposed to just being a very hacky um thing and i think the the perception is also gradually changing i think there are a lot of marketers and people who are ostensibly doing quote-unquote growth hacking who actually hate that name. And I'm actually mm -hmm. probably one of them. It's just that the name has been out there and it's kind of stuck. So I also, I mean, as much as I don't like it, I kind of at least ascribe to that growth piece. I don't like the hacking name because I think that always just makes people think, oh, these, you are hacking all day long. Growth has been around forever. Like, if you're running a business, you, you are, are growing. thinking of growth right like if you're doing you call it marketing or call it whatever um and that's why like when we first started chatting i was like growth hacking is like a relatively non-traditional field i think it could be because of just that name that they've chosen to give it yes so from a yes from a pure marketing perspective i think we could have done better branding <laughs> ourselves <laughs> that's true um but yeah i i also feel like that the, the multidisciplinary um piece has become more de facto and, and I, I personally love seeing that because it's just enabling everyone's like careers to develop so much faster what do you recommend people do who want to become growth hackers quote unquote i think jump in because i think i mean there isn't going to be any set kind of university education or course that's going to prepare you for this i think the best people that I've hired onto my team, I mean, they come from all different walks of life, yeah. right? And if you boil it down to a mentality, like anybody can have that mentality. How do you keep up to date with it though? Like, are there resources that they can be pointed towards? Or is it just your blog? Or, you know, where, what are some of the places that we can find out more about growth hacking? Um, I would definitely recommend the, like Brian Balfour um, and Sean Ellis and Andrew Chen all write on the topic and they have great articles on that. Um, and I feel like in, in smaller communities, like, you know, in meetups and in, um, there is also a growth conference. Um, look up exactly what that name <laughs> is in San Francisco every year that has some really great names okay. against it as well um, so yeah I think there's ways of you to pick it up um, but I wouldn't say there's any kind of fixed one way okay. to get in so I am just assuming that you get asked about growth hacking a lot I asked you a ton of questions about growth hacking what are the two most common questions you get asked that you really, really dislike and you wish people would stop asking you? And just Google it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I'm would. i definitely sick of people asking you about specific tactics. Like, there's always a new tactic or a new fad out there. And to your point, that's the part where, it's, where it is a little bit hard to keep up. But I would say that that's 
usually not what you need to keep up on. Yes, know that it's there, and yes, that know that maybe you need to leverage it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the harder, way, way harder part still is knowing, yeah, what are you focusing on? How are you prioritizing? How are you setting up your team? And what are you going after? What do your users want? Those things aren't going to come out of, you know, you know, I grew my email list by 125% by changing the subject line. Like that's, and that's the stuff I get asked at about all the time. Yeah. It's in-channel specific tactics. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people focus so much on the tactics instead of like the bigger picture? Because this is the second time in a podcast that's coming up that people ask a lot of questions that are tactic related instead of focusing on, let's say, something like the framework. One, I think it's a little bit perpetuated by the MarTech industry, honestly. Like the billions of dollars in that software industry, they perpetuate this by doing content marketing to marketers, telling them that they need these tools to solve the problem of the day. And the problem of the day changes every month. <laughs> so or I think, every day. Or every day. And I think that is perpetuated by them. Um, but the other thing I, I do think it is the traditional marketing industry has been disrupted by tech. And I think there's a fair amount of marketers out there who, if they haven't been in tech before, are looking to pick up that digital marketing skill. And when they do that, the first thing they look at is the tactics, is is the specific channels. And I feel like that's how this discussion ends up happening is because they're trying to pick that piece up. But when you're in there, it becomes very obvious that that really isn't, and it shouldn't be the first thing you're looking at. Totally. Yeah. The other thing I think I should, probably should add in terms of what I think is very important for, well, I mean, for me, it's for growth teams, but I think for probably anybody is to have a T-shaped um, skill set, right? Because I'm so big on that whole multidisciplinary team thing, yeah. I'm also a big fan of having somebody who is deep in one, one area but knows enough of the other areas to be able to work with the rest mm. of the team. So, uh, like, ostensibly, you can kind of get into growth through design, through product, through engineering, through marketing, or through data science. And those are all very, very different paths. But I would recommend that you know enough about these other disciplines that you can work with them, and that's really what makes you a valuable resource. It isn't that you're the best engineer out there. It's the fact that you're the best engineer out there who also knows about design and data science and how all of this fits together. Yeah. And yeah. how can you learn more about that as literally by having multidisciplinary teams or taking interest in like other people's jobs I mean you got to focus on your job too like do your job well hence the t-shape you have to be deep (laughs) in that one area but know enough about the others (laughs) all right um so one of the questions that we love asking people here on this podcast is that if you could have brunch with one marketer dead or alive who would it be and why that would definitely be Alex Schultz who's the VP of growth right now at Facebook he actually was um, a colleague of mine when I was working at eBay. Um, okay. But back then, uh, I, I had just joined. And I remember asking him, I cornered him one time at lunch and managed to ask him some of the most stupid questions <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember him saying, well, this is the top question that I guess asked by newbies. And this is why you're, 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 you're not thinking straight. Um, so I would love the chance just to be at a brunch with him. Uh, to have round two of that discussion yeah. um, and see where that goes. Imagine if we asked him, what are the two questions you hate being asked? And he's like, this question <laughs> from this person many years ago. Can you imagine? Um, that's awesome. Alex, if you're listening, we'd love to have you as a guest on this podcast. 
And that's about it. Let's wrap up with where can people find out more about you? Where can they find you? Where do you live digitally, not personally? Because that would be too creepy. Uh, definitely on 500px. Um, my profile is Sylvang, so S-Y-L-V-N-G. Um, but I do have my blog, like I said. So personal blog is sylvia.ing, just top level dot ng. Yeah. And Twitter? Twitter, also LinkedIn as well. Um, Perfect. You can look me up there. Thank you so much, Sylvia. This was a lot of fun. And we learned, I learned a lot. I'm speaking Glad on behalf to of hear that. Right now. <laughs> I hope they learned too. And we will see you with another episode of Market very, very soon. Take care and goodbye. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Market. If you like what you heard, Please don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Thanks so much.